There's absolutely no way to truly turn to God and have him make a difference in our life unless we have a broken heart over our own sin. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We take you through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. In about five minutes, we're going to study Hosea chapter 5. It's going to be very interesting, so stay there. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? All right, I'm going to be focusing in on Hosea chapter 7 and all of the allusions that the prophet makes to ovens and bread. Ryan? All right, well, today and tomorrow, I'm taking a survey of the 12 minor prophets. Who were they and when did they minister? We're going to find out. All right, look forward to that. And Janice? Can't earn salvation. Okay, so let's get our Bible guides out. Turn to the reading that we're going to have today in chapter 5. And let's open our hearts and our minds and listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Hosea 5, 1 through 12. Hear this, O priests. Take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For yours is the judgment, because you have been a snare to Mizpah and a net spread on Tabor. The revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. Blow the ram's horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud at Beth-Avon, Look behind you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. Therefore I will be to Ephraim like a moth, and to the house of Judah like rottenness. Hosea chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Hosea chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Now during the time of Moses... Laws were given to the people of Israel. Now, the laws of God were written down several times in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy was written after Moses had spent 40 years with the people of Israel wandering around the desert. One of God's commands stated, 
You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Deuteronomy 19, verse 14. Now, the idea here is that God had set landmarks in place as part of his covenant. Later in time, Hosea would make the claim that Israel had moved God's landmarks and she was worshiping other gods at the site of Mount Tabor and Mizpah. Whatever we fall into, the, the trap of worshiping other gods, evil quickly takes us in and judgment quickly follows. We, you and I, are called to landmarks of Christ here on earth. Let's not move or try to move the landmarks that Jesus Christ has set in place. That's what we're going to study today as we focus our attention on Hosea chapter 5, the changing of the landmark. The changing of the landmark. Chapter 5 is amazing. And as we open it up and read it, I want to encourage you, take your Bible guide and turn to it. This is an amazing passage of scripture. If you don't have a Bible guide, write to us or call us and we'll send you one. Or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and when you go there, click on the Bible guide page. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you, by the way, for your donations. And we don't, we don't make a suggested. I mean, it's just whatever God speaks to your heart. We trust the work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit knows our needs and he knows how, what you can do and he does the rest. And so, but thank you for your donations. God will bless you for it. And then it takes you to a place where you can download it as you need to do so. You can find it just how, how we printed it and you can have it on your computer every month. Isn't that interesting? Today we focus on the change of the landmark and father, I pray, boy, do I pray. There are landmarks. Uh, that's the best way to say it. Your law said that, and Jesus said that. In fact, you said, if you love me, you will do my commandments. And Father, I pray we, we are not under the law, but we are under the obligation of your covenant, Jesus Christ, to follow him. That's what a Christian is, somebody who follows Jesus Christ. It's not somebody who follows this dream, or not somebody who follows that dream. Somebody who prays and says, Lord, I want to follow your dream. So, Father, I pray today that you would teach us your way and show us your path as we try to navigate this world, which seems to be going out of control. Because, Lord, you are in control. And we come to you and ask for your help today in Jesus name. And we said together, amen. Let's go to the scripture and learn what this says in chapter five, because it is interesting. The first verse, here's what it says. Hear this, O priest, take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for yours is the judgment because you have been a snare to Mizpah and a net spread on Tabor. What is God saying? Hosea prophesies the words of God to the priest and to the leaders of Israel. You see, God has called leaders and pastors to preach his message, not their own. Let me tell you something. I can tell you that there is never a time when we have seen so many pastors, so many leaders, so many preachers preaching their own ideas. Stop it. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Knock it off. Stop it. This is what you preach. You don't preach pop psychology. You don't preach what you like to preach. You preach the word of God, beloved. That's what you preach. Man. And that's what Hosea was saying. He was saying, this, is, this has got to stop, guys. You got to preach your own. God judges. I'm telling you, it's, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hosea chapter 5, verse 2, the revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel, you defy, Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds towards turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst. And they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. Listen to what God is saying, beloved. Even though God knew all about Ephraim and Israel, they did not know him. God sees and knows all things everywhere. Come to God today. Let me explain something. There are many people who call themselves Christian, but they don't live like it. They're not living like it. When you're a Christian, you honor God and you respect him. You follow his heart. You do things his way, not your way. Not what feels good to you. You do things according to what he's told you, according to what he said. And God helps us through the power of his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is amazing, I tell you. That, that's an, in divine mind. That's what that is. 6 through 12, with their flocks and their herds, they shall go seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. Now... A new moon shall devour them and their heritage. Blow the ram's horn in Gilbeah, or Gibeah, and the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud at Beth Avon, look behind you, O Benjamin. Ephraim should be desolate in the day of rebuke among the tribes of Israel. I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim will oppre is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept, human laws, human precept. Therefore, I will be to Ephraim like a moth and to the house of Judah like rottenness. There is no turning back to God without a broken and a humble heart. There is no turning back to God without a broken and humble heart. Even in this time of grace, there are some who continue to choose to reject God with their proud hearts. Their hearts are proud. God should be glad that I'm in his kingdom. What in the world is that? I praise God that he sees willingness to sacrifice his son, that when I make him Lord of my life, I can become in his kingdom. So different. 
Let's pray and pay attention to God. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And since we've just recently started reading through the Minor Prophets, today I thought it would be really helpful to put these 12 men into perspective and to summarize their lives and careers. Who were they? When did they live? To whom did they prophesy? Answering these questions will help put their books and their lives in context. Now, because of time constraints, we're going to have to split this study up over two days. So today, we're going to be looking at Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah. So open your Bibles to the book of Hosea, and we'll go through each prophet book by book. Although the last 12 books of the Old Testament are attributed to men we call the Minor Prophets, this has nothing to do with the importance of their works, but rather to the length of their ministry, as well as to the length of their books. In fact, their message is essentially identical to that of the Major Prophets, which is to depart from evil and turn wholeheartedly to God. In a nutshell, to love God and to love neighbor. It is indeed the Law and the Prophets, just as Jesus said. And nothing about these so-called minor prophets suggests a minor message. On the contrary, they warned in often dramatic fashion that destruction would come if the recipients of that prophecy failed to repent. Hosea, the first of the Bible's minor prophets, made this exceedingly clear to the northern kingdom of Israel. In fact, in order to illustrate God's relationship with unfaithful Israel, Hosea was commanded to marry a woman of harlotry. He prophesied in the 8th century BC during the reign of King Jeroboam II, which places his prophecies just shortly before the nation fell to Assyria in 722 BC. Even though God was offering Israel salvation, which is what the name Hosea means, they refused. After Hosea comes Joel, or at least when it comes to the ordering of their books. In truth, the date of his prophecies are unknown, though many scholars believe them to be sometime around 830 BC. If so, then this would make him the earliest writing prophet. Just as Hosea was called to warn the northern kingdom of Israel of impending destruction, Joel was called to warn the southern kingdom of Judah of the same. In fact, he used the current natural disasters of the locust invasion and drought to illustrate a coming military invasion of Judah. Then there was Amos. Though he was not a professional prophet at all, but rather a shepherd and grower of sycamore figs, his message was equally divine. Known as God's angry man, Amos came against the oppression of the poor that was all too prevalent in the northern kingdom during the reign of Jeroboam II. As a farmer, Amos would have been particularly sympathetic to the common people and the poor. Following Amos is Obadiah, though it's not really known when he prophesied. Thus, dates for his ministry range anywhere from 850 to 400 BC. What is clear is that he was called to prophesy not against Israel, but against Edom. Due to their continual mistreatment of the Israelites, God was about to bring judgment upon the Edomites. Another prophet called to prophesy against a foreign nation was Jonah. 
Though he is best remembered for prophesying against Nineveh, he did make other prophecies during the reign of Jeroboam II, not recorded in his book. Interestingly, Jonah was from a small Galilean village called Gath-Hefer, which means that the Pharisees were wrong when they said that no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Alright, so as I said before, because of time constraints here on the program, I had to end with Jonah for today. But tomorrow we'll carry on and conclude our study as we finish off with the last seven, namely Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Quite a mouthful. Yes, it is. In fact, some people like to say that uh, they call him Malachi Makalichi because he Malichi, was an Italian yeah, prophet. Yeah, so. that's right. But uh, Jonah's a good place to end. Jonah's a fascinating prophet too. We'll get to him. For sure he in is. In a few weeks in teaching. But that's great. Thank you, Ryan. Corey? All right. Hosea chapter 7 has a very harsh message, but we're going to start with something that is not so harsh. It's rather nice, actually. We're going to be taking a look at how bread was made in ancient Israel because Hosea chapter 7 uses the oven and bread as a symbol, as an allusion to what is really going on underneath the surface of Israel's happy existence and prosperous existence. So let's take a look first at ovens and bread, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of what Hosea is talking about. In the middle of Jesus's famous model prayer, he petitions God to give us this day our daily bread, demonstrating quite naturally the ancient importance of this culinary staple. Bread was such an integral part of the ancient Near Eastern diet that the word could be used to mean food in general. Almost as far back as historians can see, bread has been a part of the human diet via wild and cultivated seed. Like today, there were many different ways to make a loaf. First, flour had to be processed. Different types of grains were used. In ancient Israel, at least two types of wheat were grown. Emmer wheat that required traditional threshing or pounding to get rid of the seed hull, and durum wheat that became more popular because it didn't require threshing. Wheat was grown from November to May, and its harvest was celebrated by the biblical Feast of Weeks. Barley was the other dominating grain of the biblical landscape. As a crop, it was more robust than wheat, tolerating harsher conditions and poorer soil. But it was also viewed as less valuable than wheat. For example, except for in a very specific circumstance, offerings to God were made of wheat flour. The heads of wheat and barley could be eaten raw or toasted, but the truly civilized way was to process them into flour. This was most often done by hand on a daily as-needed basis. Dough would then be mixed up with the flour and a liquid, any add-ins like fat, seeds, fruit, or coarser grain, and could be baked right away or leavened. The baking process itself also varied greatly. Dough could be flattened and cooked directly in the coals of a fire. It could be baked on a preheated flat rock or on a large metal circular plate heated over a fire. Ovens were also utilized, dome ovens and tanner ovens being widely attested to. Ancient Egypt has left us the most prolific evidence of bread baking in its pictorial representations, 3D models, and even in the form of ancient loaves themselves. From these, we learn that bread was baked in many different shapes, sizes, and forms. It could be flatbread or leavened bread. It could be shaped by hand into spirals, loaves, or models of other things. It could be stamped or baked in a pottery mold. 
potted and molded bread were often baked in dome-type ovens that facilitated the stacking or placing of pots within the heated structure. The walls of tanner-style ovens were used to bake bread that had been slapped onto it. Whatever process was used, it's clear that bread baking quickly became something more than just calorie-based. It was part of a tradition of modifying the natural world, of becoming creators in our own right. It's interesting that this, cross-culturally, was then offered back to God, or the gods as it were, an act of love and devotion. Breaking bread was actually, and symbolically, an act of friendship. All right, although bread was seen as a blessing, if you did it wrong, if your tools were faulty, it wasn't a blessing. And, and we see that here in Hosea chapter 7. So when Hosea is talking about the people of Israel, he says this, they are all adulterers, burning like an oven whose fire the baker need not stir from the kneading of the dough till it rises. So a very, very, very hot oven that the baker can just leave. He can just leave it. He doesn't have to stir it. Um, down in verse seven, all of them are as hot as an oven. They devour their rulers. All their kings fall. So we've got this idea they are a devouring oven. So hot that it's not good to bake anything. Actually, it just consumes. It does the opposite. It's supposed to produce, but it's actually consuming. Uh, in verse 8, God, through Hosea, essentially calls them half-baked. He says, Ephraim mixes with the nations. That is to say, he is relying on other nations for aid rather than God. Ephraim being um, a euphemism for Israel, northern Israel. Ephraim is a flat loaf, not turned over. And essentially what that means is he's getting burnt on one side, but he looks raw on the other. He's half-baked and becomes useless, no good for anything. Um, the illusions go on. Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless, only good to be caught. Okay. So again, this reversal of a blessing elsewhere, doves are seen as a good thing, a very symbol of God's mercy and God's rescue. And here, senseless. And jump down to verse 16. They do not turn to the most high. They are like a faulty bow. Again, it looks really useful but it's not at all useful except to be thrown out and trampled. So we have all of all of this language in Hosea, this very descriptive language, using things that were generally used for good and would have been known by the people of Israel to be used as good and turned on their heads to try to expose to them that in not following the God in, in not following God in strings so far from him, they had reversed all of those things that were supposed to be blessings. Very interesting, Corey. Thank you so much, Janice. And and moving on with that, Corey, in Hosea chapter five, this impending judgment on Israel and Judah, the word says here in, in verse four, it says, They do not direct their deeds toward turning mm. to their God. For the spirit of harlotry is in their midst. They do not know the Lord. They, they, this, this, this use of harlotry, being unfaithful, mm -hmm. going to, to every to God, yeah. going to everyone else, mm -hmm. but to God is what what they were practicing. It says, and they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to His face. And it goes on. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. Then verse 6 was the key verse that I was looking at today, calling it can't earn salvation. Here it says, with their flocks and herds, they shall go seek the Lord. 
they're taking sacrifices. They're taking their flocks. They're taking their herds to seek the Lord. But here's the sad part of that verse. But they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. You know, God tells us in his word, it's not about the sacrifice. It's obedience. And these people had turned away from God. They had relied on everything else but him. And now turning towards him, they try, Rod, to bring things. They try to come to God in their own way. You ever heard that? Well, there's many ways to God. Many ways. No, there isn't. There's one way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God gives us instructions in his word. We can't be arrogant enough to think that we can choose how we get to come to God. God tells us how we come to him, and that's through his son. In the same way, with their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. When we come to God, Rod, we have to come with a broken and a humble heart knowing that we have not been right, that we, are, we can be the best person ever. We can do all the good, good things. We can, we can do all the great things and give to society and be a wonderful person and sell all of our things and give to people, but that doesn't earn our way to heaven. That doesn't make us be loved by God anymore. God already loves you. God already loves me. And he extends his grace. He extends his forgiveness through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up on a cross, shed his blood for you, rose again three days later to give you and I the gift of eternal life. This is what is being extended to us. This rod is the gift of God. Absolutely. Come to Christ. Come today. And when you come to Christ, he's as close as the mention of his name. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Father, I need you today. I need you right now. I, I, I can't mess around anymore. I need you, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again in the flesh. And I need you. Help me today, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We need to pay attention to God and we need to thank the Lord for what he's done. Father, we thank you today in the name of Jesus Christ for your wonderful and amazing word. Thank you for teaching us. Now, Lord, help us to read this word every day. Lord, we've got to read it every day and we've got to pray every day. Help us to get closer to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen.